Women women would say nothing moved in terms of the women's issue, the neurologic issues, the LGBTQ, those kind of things. That all those issues stayed within a very conservative container as they had done and had begun under John Paul II. Were there any signs of movement there that you could see, Jim? No, I don't see too much movement there. I'd have to say I can't point to instances where there was a dramatic move forward. In some language of some documents and prayers, the English translations began to say he and she and brothers and sisters. So there was a bit of attention to that. Now, an interesting thing is the question of ordination of women. That certainly didn't move to any further place during the papacy of Ratzinger, except there is evidence for believing that it is one of two matters that John Paul II wanted to declare infallibly. It was infallibly taught that they couldn't be ordained and that he was stopped by doing so by Cardinal Ratzinger. Now, the way he was stopped was that Cardinal Ratzinger said, this is already infallibly taught. Lumen Gentium 25, when the whole church across time and across space holds something to be the case, you can say it's an infallible teaching of the church. It's called the ordinary and universal magisterium. But in fact, I used to teach when I was in Milltown that the conditions for fulfilling that are open to question. And I don't think, since it wasn't a question down through the centuries of history, it only recently became a question with the changes in society and all that. It could be argued, fallibly perhaps, but it could be argued, preferably within the theology of the church, that that matter is not taught infallibly. So he didn't do anything you could say, but he might have done something to stop a can of worms popping open that we wouldn't have wanted. Two final things. One, he's not very long buried. As he would say, he's not cold in his grave here in Ireland. And um, Ganswein, his secretary, is uh, releasing a book and gave an interview in which he's lambasting Pope Francis. Are you across that? Do you know what's happening there? I know that a book is about to be produced in which he says that the devil was working against uh, Joseph Ratzinger in a variety of ways, thwarting him and all that. Well, I'm not an expert on the devil, except insofar as perhaps I do his work. But um, it can be said that uh, a target of the, the devil's... Um, shall we say, attention might well be the head of the Roman Catholic Church. I don't like that kind of talk very much. I don't know what he means, or worse, I don't know who he means. I don't know why it's helpful to produce such a book at this time, but I don't know Monsignor Genswein. There were other things during the time of Ratzinger's retirement, you know, that he said or did or seemed involved in. There seemed to have been a kind of disaffected German circle that kept itself going in Rome somewhat, and that didn't like uh, Francis at all. I, I think they still exist, but you don't want to put all Germans into it, but, but there are some there. So what Monsignor Genswein's book will bring, I shudder, uh, it also sounds sensationalistic. However, I will say that he spent 10 years that matter ecclesia monastery together with the women the sisters who took care of joseph ratzinger in those very late years and that was not glamorous work he did that with admirable fidelity it seems to me
Yeah, it, it, it's just, I think he was talking about in, in the quotations, and I presume it's right because it's directly quoted, that Benedict worked very hard to allow those who wanted to use the Latin mass to use it so that they wouldn't become disaffected and would preserve the unity of the church. And that Francis, by making the statements that he did and not allowing that, has damaged seriously and the unity of the church and hurt Pope Benedict by doing it. But of course, I suppose it is true to say that actually that isn't what happened anyway, even under Benedict. I mean, the, the, the people who were proponents of the Latin Mass became more vociferous and more potentially schismatic rather than becoming people who were going to feel themselves at one within the church. Yeah, I think it was in 2007, there was this Samorum Pontificum, the thing that uh, gave greater freedom to celebrate the, using the 1962 Missal and so on. And that Benedict's motivation there was to draw closer to the fold and into a church coming from Vatican II, people who were hesitant about the council and its reforms and the document and the liturgy and so on. So his motivation seems to have been to be more inclusive. He once spoke of liturgical pluralism, that the dramatic removal of a missile with which many were familiar in a fell scoop in 1969-1970 wasn't perhaps the most merciful of acts or sensitive. So those were some of his reasons. But I think, I'm not an expert on this now, but it seems that many ran away with the permissions and wanted to do much more with them than would ever have been Benedict's intention. Francis, as we all know, is more worldly-wise. We can't say that he doesn't see around corners. There's a word in Italian, furbo. It means cunning. It's not always a very negative word, but certainly you'd hear the grass growing in some ways. He was much more a feet-on-the-ground pastor. Ratzinger had one year of pastoral experience as a young priest and then four and a half years in Munich as the local bishop. Whereas Bergoglio's whole life was involved with people in every and all sorts of circumstances, and indeed in very difficult times as a Jesuit provincial. So perhaps Bergoglio saw things that meant the good being done was outweighed by what exaggerations were being put on the other side. I, I, I don't know, I don't have evidence, but that's what you hear, and that seems somewhat plausible. The business of Ratzinger not being up to speed on things that were happening, like WikiLeaks and stuff like that. Again, I often wished I was a journalist, Pat, um, because I think I might have a credit card. And the credit card might be there for the purpose of bringing people to good lunches. And you find out a lot two-thirds the way through a good lunch. And then I would have found out, well, what did he know? What kind of relationships did he have with people that were around him, Cardinal Bertone and others, Paolo Gabriele, the butler himself? You know, I just don't know. So we can say, seems he was very incompetent, poor judge of people, lousy administrator. Well, how can I assert that with a strong degree of evidence since I was not a regular visitor to those rooms? There's probably some truth in it, not especially worldly wise, not especially for He tended, I would say this would be an accurate thing to say, he tended to trust the people he had around him and feel safe with them. But then perhaps they became a kind of kitchen cabinet and perhaps they didn't always merit every element of trust 
that was placed in them. They didn't serve him well in all cases. I don't say that because I don't want to say that he missed anything or made wrong decisions or got things wrong. I only say that because it takes more than one to tangle. So finally, would it be true to say then, Jim, as his final summary, that his great legacy, not in a cynical way, as has been said by some people, would be what he did when he resigned, the implications of that? Yeah, people say that in a cynical way. But you see, I would say that was a great moment in his great legacy. But his great legacy was theological. And that was a key and a decisive moment Ratzinger, not known for theological innovation, made the greatest change in the church's ecclesiology and opened, as Eugene Duffy said, many possibilities by that act. And I would also want to point to certain books of his and I mean to his theological, my French isn't great, oeuvre as a whole, that leaves a splendid legacy for people who want to read seriously and indeed often beautifully about the treasures of the Christian faith. That remains and has to be reckoned with even in the future. He was a great writer, a great synthesizer. So his legacy for me, I know I'm a theologian, so it's primarily theological. On so many points, he thought with lucidity, clarity, and also beauty, the true, the good, and the beautiful. He attended to them all.